we've kind of reduced the friction in the user experience. We've made it super productive and made it really simple to share that now we're creating new scenarios for sharing that weren't even happening before. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have the wife and husband uh, duel from NoteJoy, Ada and Sachin Reiki of NoteJoy, which provides powerful collaborative collaborative notes for you and your team. So, fun fact: Look, they've got over twenty years of experience as leaders of organizations such as SurveyMonkey and LinkedIn. I'm going to let them speak to that in a little bit. Also, Ada and Sachin joined me for dinner when we we're at an event in Ukraine, and I had a wonderful time with them. So happy to have you two um, just here for a conversation. So, how are you two doing? First and foremost. Good, good. Excited to be here. Enjoying the holidays. Awesome. Great. Yeah. So this is actually happening. This, this recording is happening before 2019. So I guess, um, you know, I gave a little background, but it's always good to kind of hear from you to kind of, you know, what your backgrounds are and a little story about, uh, I guess why you decided to create NoteJoy. Yeah. So this is Ada here. Um, NoteJoy is basically a collaborative notes app for you and your team. And, um, you know, what we really focused on is, we started NoteJoy based off of our personal experiences and some of the uh, pain and stress of working at companies big and small. And so in my prior background, I was the SVP of marketing at SurveyMonkey and previously um, ran a bunch of different marketing teams at LinkedIn. And then Sachin was actually a product leader at LinkedIn working on LinkedIn sales solutions business. And uh, before that, we've also worked at much smaller startups and other companies before. And, you know, the challenges that you see in modern day collaboration is really that the tools aren't really keeping up with the pace that people are working at. There's a real struggle to get everyone on the same page and the same flow of information. And it can just really feel like a game of telephone. And what I mean by that is like, you know, everyone's heard of Slack. Like Slack is this amazing chat tool and it's really fast. It streams by, there's hundreds of messages when you come back to your desk and it's really kind of fast and really lossy. And then on the other extreme, you kind of have documents, right? Your Google Docs, your Microsoft Office Docs. And those docs are both hard to find and really sort of formal. So they're always out of date. So you have this contrast of something that's really fast and up to date, but really hard to find information in. And, you know, things that are really stable, but kind of perpetually out of date because it's a lot of work to go change them. We really saw this opportunity for something that was in between. Light, quick, fast capture of information into the format of notes that don't need a lot of work to actually format them and get them done, but then also making something that's really a searchable archive for everyone within their team. And so this is something that we'd been talking about for many, many years prior to even starting the company and just a huge passion point for us. And that's really how we sort of started the company. And, you know, one fun fact is actually that I think we bought the domain, how long, like, 
while back. Uh, you probably like two years before the company was founded, we were sort of sitting on it because we were just really excited about doing something in the space. Great. So what I'm hearing is this is a, a problem that you saw kind of, you know, working within other organizations and uh, basically nobody was solving it, right? So it was actually a problem that you were facing that you decided to solve, right? Exactly. And like, I remember when I was a leader for the LinkedIn sales navigator business at LinkedIn, I was fortunate because the business grew incredibly fast. In the two years I got to incubate this new product for LinkedIn focused on sales professionals, we grew the team from kind of eight engineers and me in a corner to a team of 500 across product, marketing, sales. Uh, we even grew the revenue to 200 million in revenue. So it was this incredible growth ramp. But actually, I saw my role completely change. I started as this product manager kind of working on the product, uh, but then effectively became a GM of this entire organization. And in that process, I kind of shifted my role to be all about kind of driving alignment in the organization, uh, really making sure we had the right priorities we were focusing on. I'd spend all this time on these monthly all hands that I was really trying to make sure everyone was on the same page. And what I realized was I kept spending all this time just personally focused on kind of driving communication and collaboration. And it was using all these people processes, meetings, all hands and things like that. And it just felt like the tools themselves really weren't doing anything for us to kind of keep us on the same page. And email was this thing that we overused and just constantly flooded with content that wasn't relevant and all the issues Ada mentioned with Slack and documents. So we were feeling that pain every day that we kind of just wanted the tool for ourselves to solve what we were dealing with. Great. You're, you are speaking my language. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to learn a little more because you're, you're talking about all the all hands and driving alignment uh, processes all the time and, and processes changing. And so I, I guess uh, what are some example clients and maybe you can talk about some example use cases because I find the examples probably be the easiest way for people to understand how this is even different than the other kind of uh, let's quote unquote competitors if there are any. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when at first blush, when people look at NoChoy, they sort of start to think about it like an alternative to things like Google Docs or wikis that you might have. And, you know, that's certainly true. You can use NoChoy as a great alternative to it. But where we NoChoy really starts to shine is when you get to the point where you're capturing net new content in NoChoy that didn't exist prior to to no joy um, in a structured format. So let me explain. You know, it turns out we go through all of our customers and we ask them, okay, great. Of these last 10 notes you created in no joy, before no joy, where do they used to exist? Some of them might have been, a couple of them might be a Google Doc, one of them might have been a wiki page, but what we love to hear is when people are like, actually, this would have been an email thread that kind of would have gone crazy, now we decided no joy was a better place for it. Or another folk would be like, this might have been something we did in Slack, uh, but now no joy is a better home for it. Or oftentimes, it's like, honestly, we wouldn't have captured and shared this in the first place. So um, we have companies that have uh, kind of really done this to a large extent. One of my favorite examples is this company named Connect, uh, which is this um, B2B marketplace based out in New York City. Uh, they're a company of about 60 employees, and they now have thousands of notes in NoChoy across their entire company. And some of the scenarios are the obvious ones. They use it for product plans and specs and those kind of things. Um, but they had some really interesting scenarios come up as well. Um, so one is... You know, it turns out they want to enable anyone in the organization to be able to derive insights from their data. 
But it turns out knowing how to do SQL, for example, kind of requires a, a different skill set. Engineers might know it really well. Business folks might not. And so what they started to do is put all these sample SQL queries in a notebook in NoChoy. And this became a central place where they can share example queries in the output. And then anyone could benefit from being able to see those queries and search for them. And, you know, you can even give people high fives and kudos for contributing additional uh, queries. And what they found was this became an invaluable resource as a place for them to improve kind of the SQL knowledge of everyone in the organization. And so we'd ask them, where did this used to live before? And they'd say, you know, every person had their own little text file where they kept a script or two in there, but nothing was ever shared. And while technically maybe you could have copied that into something like a Google Docs, you never would have. And that's when we realized we've kind of reduced the friction in the user experience. We've made it super productive and made it really simple to share that now we're creating new scenarios for sharing that weren't even happening before. Yeah. And just just to add on to that, um, another great example is uh, a company called Zapier, which I think a lot of people have probably heard of. And the Zapier Ops teams is that is actually a user of NoteJoy, and um, really, you know, ops for them and their focus has really been around scaling their business, right? So how do they actually manage a lot of the HR processes as well as recruiting? And so the recruiters do everything from take all of their call notes as they do screens and interviews and um, post-interview roundups in NoteJoy. And then that way it's in a shareable repository where everyone can be fully up to date. All the way to, you know, the more administrative or sort of wiki type uh, scenarios where they're actually drafting a ton of their HR policies around stuff to share out with the broader employee base in NoteJoy, doing all the collaboration and sort of capturing the sausage making, so to speak, and then publishing the final form out. And so, you know, you're really seeing a lot of scenarios there that are around collaborative note-taking all the way to document collaboration and really having a space for the teams to have for sort of a restricted group of people interacting and perfecting something before publishing it out to the broader group. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's. I remember us talking at uh, we were talking in, in in Ukraine about this, and I just kind of mentioned that whether you use uh, Dropbox Paper, Google Drive, or Google Docs, it, it, everything just kind of starts to kind of fall apart and become unruly. Whereas when you have something like this, everything's. It, it seems like it's just another. It's like why can't I just use Google Docs? But it is in fact different because it's well to me. It's it's a lot faster and it's a lot more intuitive. And I like the little elements that you're adding. Uh, you know, around kind of the, the high fiving and. And getting people to collaborate more. So that, that sounds really cool. So that actually leads me to my next question. How does NoteJoy actually make money and how do people actually get their hands on this thing? Yeah, so you know we've really kind of adopted the playbook of a lot of modern SaaS tools where we take a full freemium approach. So um, to get started with NoteJoy is completely free. You can sign up, and um, that works great for individuals, um, also small teams. So we also allow folks up to five people on a team to use NoteJoy completely for free. Then um, you get into our paid plans, which not only allow you to add more than five users to a team, but then give you a lot more depth and functionality. Things like uh, note history, so you can see every previous version of an edit. Things like view and comment only users, so you can control specific access, as well as tons more ability to upload and share rich media in terms of storage limits and a bunch of administrative functionality as well. And so what we see is that uh, most individuals get started just on our free plans. And what's been great about it is we've seen kind of on-ramps from individuals using it for personal productivity, then introducing it to their team 
teams and then growing kind of broader through, throughout the organization, which we love because it's sort of kind of played out that bottoms up distribution channel, which we always love to see. We're actually starting to see that in reality. Great. And I think when you um, when, we, when we spoke about this, um, I, I mean, you know, you mentioned a certain category working well for you. Are, are you able to kind of you know talk about that category and how you're kind of reaching uh, those those customers? It sounds like that one's working well. Yeah, definitely. So I think what's been interesting is that, you know, when we initially started, we thought about NoJoy as a, a tool that's great for enterprises, like the kind of companies that we worked at, LinkedIn and SurveyMonkey, um, as well as small businesses. And, you know, as a small startup, what we did realize is it's not easy to go after large enterprises initially, um, especially when you don't have that credibility built out in the marketplace yet. And so we started focusing on SMBs, which was great because we have these companies under 100 employees using us like the connects and now getting even larger with companies like Zapier and whatnot. But was what was a surprising audience to us that we really didn't even consider when we initially built the product was that we've actually had broad-based adoption amongst agencies, digital and marketing agencies, freelancers, and a lot of these kinds of uh, teams that love using NoChoy. And what's been interesting about it is that they're using NoChoy not only for internal collaboration, so how do I actually collaborate on projects within our team, but they're actually using NoChoy to collaborate with their clients. And that was not a scenario, honestly, that we kind of came up with initially, though we made it really easy to share inside and outside your company. And what they find is that NoChoy feels like a kind of more professional space to share with their clients. You know, when they think about their options, they think about, sure, I can send someone a Dropbox folder with some files or a box link. That doesn't really kind of put your best foot forward as a business. Or you could use something like Basecamp, but it turns out when you bring kind of a client into a space like Basecamp, the client now feels like they have work to do. They have tasks to check off and kind of a bunch of kind of things to learn. And what they liked about NoChoy was that it's super intuitive for end users who've never used the tool to understand it because it feels like a lightweight document format. Um, but then we give you a lot of opportunities to kind of shape the conversation. You can at mention people to ask for feedback. You can create a notebook with pin notes to really draw people's attention to specific content when they first come to it. And so that's been a great audience for us that, you know, has really started to pick up, even though we never intended it. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of started out as one of those things that initially that now actually feels very intuitive. It makes sense. But, you know, initially, because so much of our background and sort of initial thinking was around how do you really solve this bottleneck of information that happens within large teams, it became really obvious as we're having these conversations and we're seeing customers pick it up that especially within businesses, small businesses and agencies, you often kind of run into that dynamic where the founder or the owner or a couple of the senior people become the human bottlenecks that really kind of know everything that's important, have all the past history on why things are the way they are. And they're struggling to actually scale that without actually doing the work of writing it all down into one really formal document. And so what NoJoy really supports is that workflow of sort of documenting information as you go, and then being able to find it later, you know, as and sort of pick apart the pieces of data and information that you're looking for without actually having to have a live conversation with the one person that knows it all and sort of has the history of the business. I'm not sure if you can relate, but certainly that's something we hear all the time, Eric, from businesses that we talk to. Yeah, 100 percent. It, it, it happens all the time in, in different kind of organizations that I'm involved with right now. I actually just signed up for the, the freemium version. So you see me pop through. <laughs> awesome. 
So I'm actually going through it. I'm kind of, uh, this actually leads me to my next point. Talking, even, even before we went live, you know, Sachin is, you know, the, the product master, you know, Ada is the marketing master and it's this, it's literally this great marriage, right? And I can tell clearly that you two did a little planning because the, the back and forth that's going on right now is so clean and crisp. Usually it isn't like this when there's like two other people. So talk about the dynamics of working as kind of a, you know, a husband and wife team uh, in, in a startup situation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny, Eric, because as we were telling you, um, before we popped into this, it's actually one of the common questions that we get, like, what's it like running a company with your spouse? So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of hit two points. Like, I think the first one is like, what is it like when you have a product leader and a marketing leader doing a company together? And then we could talk about what it's like to be married to each other. And I'm sure Sachin will have thoughts there. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that, the benefit of kind of having a product leader and a marketing leader together is that, you know, in many ways, we literally have this marriage of product and marketing, and we can do things a lot differently because we have this close partnership. Often, you know, the way that I think about marketing, especially in a more corporate or siloed context, is that marketers rely on the fixed set of things that they have in their toolbox. And, you know, as the world has really moved digital, Maybe our toolbox has gotten a lot more sophisticated. So, you know, used to have things like ad creative and offline ads and commercials and radio and all that stuff, right? Now, you know, in this digital world, we have search and content and SEO and social media marketing and influencer marketing. All of that is really great, but that's sort of like the traditional view of what you can do as a marketer. If you have a marketer who's intimately tied in with sort of the product and engineering side, you can actually pull off growth initiatives that pull in parts of the toolbox that are not traditionally accessible to marketing. So, you know, basically things that are way more technical in execution than a typical marketing toolkit. So, you know, one of our initiatives that we did this year, for instance, it's a good example, is we met with the Trello business development team and we're talking to them about doing a Trello power up together. And, you know, we basically have this really full feature Trello power up now where as you're going through your different Trello boards, I'm sure a lot of people are really familiar with Trello, but it's basically like visual task management. You often have flows where you actually want to attach documents to your tasks. So maybe you have a piece of content that's moving from draft mode to final draft mode to published mode. And you don't really want to put that in the ticket. But, you know, what if you can actually embed that document directly inside of the task? And, you know, that's something that's really differentiated from all of the power-ups that they have. And so we built this integration with NoteJoy where on the NoteJoy side, you can make updates and it's all viewable within Trello. On the Trello side, you can actually create notes and edit notes and view notes without leaving Trello. And, you know, be able to access all of the content that's a no joy to really have content added to your tasks. And it was just this tremendously powerful and deep integration. And a lot of it in terms of both the marketing side of picking that as a channel, putting together all the content and the landing pages, and then also getting it sort of built so that we were fulfilling the promise to that user. You know, that's not something that a typical marketing team is really able to sort of promise and de- deliver on within a really tight time frame. And so, you know, that's actually one of the joys of working on NoteJoy with someone like Sachin. And, you know, likewise, when we build out the product roadmap, a huge part of of our prioritization process includes evaluating whether or not we can leverage the initiatives through marketing, growth, acquisition, engagement channels. And so, you know, we're actually having that discussion in real time together as opposed to, 
you know, the more traditional waterfall method where the product team comes up with a bunch of initiatives and then flows it over to marketing and kind of gets input for probably much later on. We're doing that in a much um, tighter, more synced way. Sounds way more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually our decisioning is like just way faster because of this. And then, you know, I think as far as like what it's like to run a company with your spouse, it's actually really funny you asked this, Eric, because when we first started working on businesses together, so this is our second company together, we did a um, earlier startup called Connected, which is a contact management startup that we uh, sold to LinkedIn back in 2009. We back then were like, yes, everyone should do this. If you are dating or married or whatever else, like you guys should try working together. It's awesome. And then we actually had a bunch of folks that were, that did try it based off, off of our advice. And I would say that the results were really mixed. Like, <laughs> like that all of them kind of lasted both relationship wise and, and business wise. And so, you know, what I really think now is that it's basically like, it's going to go really, really well or it's going to go really, really badly. And there's kind of like no in between where it's going okay. Well, maybe the business kind of expedites what the what the relationship like might have been, right? So <laughs> yes, we've actually seen that happen <laughs> for better or worse. I, I don't know if that's a good outcome. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, there are plenty of marriages that are like really intact and healthy without needing to run a company together. So that's like my, you know, caveat. This is like how you can't give people professional or sorry, legal or financial advice. Like, don't take all of this and fully, fully action it without really sitting down and thinking about whether it's good for you. Well, what percent do you think actually like worked out? Like, uh, let's say it was 10 of your friends that you told to do this and they actually did it like 50 percent, like lower, like 20, 25. Oh, wow. Probably. So, I mean, <laughs> if you were to take 10 people, but if it works, it's like amazing. So we love it. We love working together. And you know, I would just probably say there are a couple things that really kind of stand out in terms to us, at least like we're both very structured people on what makes running a company together while married work. And Sachin, you should jump in here too, if you have any, but you know, for me, I think like one of the biggest things that was really helpful for us was a clear division of roles and responsibilities, because that leads to just better decision-making and better execution. So it's, I think there's a common tendency to basically have um, co-CEO type relationships where you're both kind of in charge of everything. And um, that is kind of unhealthy because it's not clear who actually owns the decision and who's going to follow through on it. And so the way that Sachin and I really think about it is, you know, he really owns like all of the product design, engineering, R&D stuff. And I'm really focused on marketing, BD, operations, sort of in that wheelhouse of everything else. And it's very clear for us to even be able to say like, well, you know, who owns this even in a day-to-day conversation? So we've really sort of brought some of the structure of business, you know, like the business world into our personal lives, right? And having that clarity around roles and responsibility actually means that we get the benefit not only of clarity of decision-making, but one of the benefits of being married is that you actually have a lot of shared trust, right? Because you have mutually aligned incentives in terms of both what personal outcomes you want to have, as well as sort of the trust that, hey, you know, you're really not going to screw each other or something, right? Yep. And, you know, that is one of the big challenges that we often see in founder teams, because both of us advise and work with a bunch of companies. And it's something that really, really like came through strongly from being married and also running a company together. 
Great. I think um, what 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 would you add, Sachin? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the trust ends up kind of being a big part of it. And what's interesting about it is these dynamics that make it work really well are actually just true for all co-founders. But like I remember my first startup, you know, we didn't have clear division or responsibilities. We were three engineers building a product, and so we sort of all had similar skill set, and we could have benefited from more kind of clear division of who owned what. But also, like, you know, it's just harder to have kind of the same level of deep trust when you don't have that strong relationship. I remember when we started meeting with investors early on with my first startup, uh, we all sort of wanted to be in the investor meetings because we all wanted to build relationships with investors versus, you know, now we're very clear, like, that's a big waste of time. Uh, We should just have one person (laughs) kind of focus on that uh, on any given thing and then trust that, like, you'll get the benefit and the value of it without having to be there and involved with everything. And so I think that's kind of made it very clean for us to get things done effectively as a husband wife team. Yeah, I think like the other thing I would add, which is probably more specific to relationships, is um, giving and getting feedback on things. And that's a that's a big part of trust and communication and where I think a lot of things break down. So the scenario I'd give you, Eric, is basically if you're in a relationship with your partner and then the work that they present is bad and you give them the feedback like, hey, this could be really improved – I think it's really easy when you're in a relationship, when someone tells you that your work is bad to take it as an emotional and mortal offense, right? That like, I am bad that, you know, Sachin thinks that I'm actually a bad person because I delivered some bad work. And, um, also, you know, that bad is not that this is work that could be improved and we should mutually work on improving it. But in fact, it's actually that he thinks it's really bad and he thinks all of my work is bad, right? Like it's, it's so easy to take that into extremes, especially when it's emotionally charged, like a relationship or a marriage. And so both of us, I think by temperament are much more like, you know, we, we came up with a term for it a while back, like truth seekers, <laughs> right? Like, so basically if you have a conflict or you have a problem, like what is the underlying truth of how do you actually improve it? Like what's actually going on? How do you fix it? How do you move it to a more positive place? And it's less about casting blame all along the way of whose fault is that? And so, you know, mastering the relationship business, relationship and business tie is actually really around like, how do you depersonalize those interactions where you can give someone constructive feedback and they kind of take it as, you know, what it is, constructive feedback with intention of wanting to make the business or product better. And so this was actually something that was shocking to, I think, some of the folks that we work with at LinkedIn. So it was a two-person company with Connected. We got acquired by LinkedIn. And then suddenly, Sachin and I found ourselves in this position where we were sort of like co-leading a bunch of these larger teams, right? So at one point, we we're co-leading the relationships team. At one point, we we're leading the sales solutions team. But you basically had you know, a group of, let's say, 12 people in a conference room, and I would be presenting something like a go-to-market plan. And everyone knew that we were married. And so Sachin would say something super critical, about the go-to-market in front of everyone when we didn't really know each other, when no one else really knew us very well. And um, he'd be like, oh, you know, I don't think that you really looked at all of the channels here, right? Like something that isn't even compliment sandwiched. Like usually you say like, this is really good, but here's the feedback, but it's really great. No, like he'll just go to this part is really not very good. I love it. I think it's a cultural thing. I, I mean, it's probably amongst the three of us I think we're coming from like, like an, I'm generalizing, but like the Asian culture is just very like direct and to the point. Yeah. Yeah. He just like tiger PMs me. Right. And, uh, <laughs> 
in the process of the tiger, there's like this pause and this silence and everyone's looking to see like, how do these people react? Right. And if my reaction is like, cool, let me take that. I think that's fair. What do you think is actually missing? What else could we add? I'm, you know, happy to go back and make these changes. You're right. We should do this. And, you know, I'm basically just rolling with it. What's amazing in terms of the dynamic of what happens in the room because of the leadership example or the norm that gets established is that everyone else in the room dogpiles on and says, yeah, add this and add this and you should fix this. And, you know, as the person who's presenting, I'm just eating it up because in a way they're doing the work for me. And, you know, it created sort of this very constructive environment of let's get the work done as opposed to Ada did a terrible job because she brought in this plan that everyone had a lot of feedback on. And, you know, we can talk about my qualifications or quality as a marketer in a separate interview, but uh, (laughs) like, you know, that example of the story of how do you sort of give and take feedback is a really real problem that, um, running a company with your spouse often presents, right? Like how do you actually course correct in a really honest and maybe, you know, and I think for a lot of people like brutally truthful way. And if it feels too brutal, then, you know, you're actually going to be in a situation where you don't get that feedback as quickly as you should. And it's harder to course correct. Got it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's, there's two things that come to mind here. So I, I think we're we're all kind of, we all are friends with uh, Heat and Shaw. And a couple of years ago, he was on this podcast and I was asking how he works with my, my podcast co-host, Neil. And he was like, well, you know, Batman and Robin, right? So it's always like, sometimes you're switching. Like sometimes Ada's Batman, you know, sometimes, you know, you're Robin. And then you're kind of just going back and forth. So totally love that. Yep. And then, so that's one thing. The second thing is the other guy I had on the podcast, his name is David Hensel, uh, co-founded this company called Max CDN. And then he was just saying, the story he shared a long time ago was um, when he first had his baby, the baby like pooped. And then um, he was like, you know, he just pointed at the baby and said, uh, you know, poop, right, (laughs) to his wife. And his wife just went crazy. And after that point, you know, they had like a family meeting and they basically set up the family like a business, like roles and responsibilities. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to meet. Here's what we're going to give each other feedback. And I I think everyone I've known, like I know only like a couple of couples that do this. When you run, almost when you run your, when you run your relationship almost like a business, it tends to work out much better. And it seems to work out the same way for you, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's one of these things where, um, you know, we actually adopted um, two practices kind of from the business world into our personal lives pretty religiously. Uh, the first one being OKRs, so objectives and key results. Oh, I love it. Um, that was a huge framework um, that we fell in love with at LinkedIn. Our product leader, Deep Nishar, uh, came from Google where OKRs uh, was really kind of evangelized. And so it became the process that we used to do goal setting at LinkedIn. But we brought it into NoChoy, but also to our personal lives. And so what we do is every quarter we have a set of OKRs for each of us, and they span not only the goals for the business and on the specific initiatives that we're working on, um, but they also span our personal objectives, whether they're health-related personal goals or whatnot. And we then score each other on on these OKRs. And so it, it helps keep us honest and helps us constantly be aligned on what's going on both in our personal and, and uh you know, professional lives. And so that's been huge for us. The other funny one that we get teased about all the time is um, the daily standup. Oh, yes. So we, we freaking love the daily standup. 
So we actually, we, we got a dog a couple years back. Um, his name is Dexter and, uh, Dexter is like, he, he's like the core scrum master of the daily standup. So essentially we take our dog walk in the evening and this actually happened while we were at LinkedIn and SurveyMonkey and obviously working separate jobs or together. And you know, that evening dog walk was actually our time when we were away from all our screens to just catch up with each other on what happened through the day. And also, get help on things, get feedback on things or give feedback on things. And so it was such a helpful way for us to stay in sync. And, you know, we do it to this day because it kind of avoids randomization throughout the day. And it's funny, like um, that practice originated when we were working on Connected, our first startup. And with Connected, you know, I was spending most of my time in the early days just doing software engineering. And then Ada was doing a lot of the kind of marketing and growth stuff. And what would happen is like in the middle of the day, Ada would be like, hey, like I need your help on this. I need your help on this. And I realized, you know, as an engineer to maximize my productivity, I need uninterrupted times of hours on end to do really well. And so that's when we instituted like a two day, a two time scrum once in the morning, once in the evening. And I'm like, hey, Ada, like in the morning, let's talk about when you're going to need me so I can plan that as opposed to having all these interruptions throughout the day. And it like boosted my own productivity, like exponentially to have like that planning in place. But that's where it started. But now we've kept it to this day. Frankly, even when we were working at different companies, when Ada was at SurveyMonkey and I was at LinkedIn, we'd still do this daily stand up where we'd catch up on everything that went on in the day, the critical meetings that we had, what we learned kind of in our own roles. And it's actually been this amazing mechanism for us to kind of be each other's best mentors and advisors and and really learn from each other. I, I feel like in Ada's years at SurveyMonkey, I got an incredible opportunity to learn from Dave Goldberg, this incredible leader, just through that experience of talking through Ada's interactions with him on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. Yeah, I think you you two have the, at least in my eyes, the, the relationship or the marriage of my dreams. Uh, so maybe you two should write a book or something. I would totally evangelize it. I'm actually pretty serious. Is a book in the works? <laughs> There's no book in the works. I have been thinking about a blog post on uh, on at least the relationship dynamic pieces that we've been doing. It would do incredibly well. Anyway, so working towards wrapping up here, I mean, you know, I heard about the OKRs, also the, the daily stand-up as well. I guess what would be an example of like a health OKR that you two, that maybe Sachin, you were responsible for? Yeah, so like we had, we're... Ada and I have gotten uh, kind of big on fitness lately, so we just set up our 2019 annual resolutions, which will break down into the four quarterly OKRs. Perfect. And so I have a weight loss goal uh, of losing 10 pounds uh, next year, but also a goal to run a half marathon, which will be the longest I've ever run. Great. How about you, Ada? Well, I could talk about this year. So... In 2018, I kind of, I was trying to work toward the goal of hitting like uh, three times a week in working out vigorously. And so I set it up as like quarterly OKRs. So in my first quarter, I went, you know, I tried to make an effort to go once a week. My second quarter, I ramped it up to twice a week. And then in my third quarter, you know, I've obviously ramped it to three. And it's been super successful. I use this app called Habit Share, which is probably an app that no one's ever heard of. It's it's just an iOS app that's been around for a while. And it's really simple. You can basically set up a goal and you can check it off, right, and kind of see the trend of green dots that you've made throughout the month. And um, it's been tremendously successful for me. So I took up a strength training routine, learned how to lift weights, and it's, it was really 
kind of a big transformation. And I just got back from my body scan and I dropped 13 pounds of fat and increased two pounds of muscle. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, funny story to share with everyone. It's uh, so when when I was in Ukraine, this was like, at, I don't know, like maybe five or six in the morning. And then there's like someone else in the gym at that time. I'm like, who else would be at the gym at this time at, at the hotel? And it turns out I didn't know it was you, Ada, until dinner time. <laughs> That, that we were... I didn't know it was you either. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty funny. So, okay, just so everyone's clear on this, um, so everyone can understand. So your objective, the, the objective that maybe you two shared was to, to get healthier, right? Um, and then the key results were, you know, let's let's crank up the workouts to three times a week so we can measure that one. Um, and also kind of, um, Sachin, on your side to, to drop 10 pounds, right? Yep, exactly. Got it. Okay, cool. So that sounds good. And so is that part of your New Year's resolution process? Is that the whole thing right there? Or is there anything else I'm missing? I think it's I think it's pretty close. What I would say, Eric, is that the way I think about it is your resolutions are like your annual plan. So if you kind of have this overall goal that, for instance, my goal is to get, my objective is to get fit. My key result is that I'll work up to working out three times a week. Then you can actually ladder it down into quarterly goals. So just like how we do quarterly business goals that sort of ladder into an annual plan, we often have quarterly business objectives or personal objectives as well. And so a quarterly objective in Q1 might actually be, well, I can't just hit the gym three times a week from a couch, right? I'm actually going to move to, let's just try it once a week. Great. And that's one of the big components of OKRs. The second component of OKRs that I don't think we really touched on is that they're meant to be stretched by definition. And so a good outcome on your OKRs at the end of the year is that you've achieved 70% of those goals. If you achieve 90% or 100%, it basically means that you kind of wimped out and you set it too easy for yourself. You want to kind of hit that sweet spot of doing something that's enough of a stretch that um, it's going to be hard for you to get to 70, 80% because then you're really pushing yourself. And so a lot of our OKRs, and we think about it through the year, are pretty focused. We try to do three to five, and they're often really stretched, right? Like you don't actually make all of them, and that's a good thing. Awesome. Yeah, what I would recommend for everyone, um, actually um, John Dora did a pretty short TED Talk on this one. It's like 14 yeah. minutes or so. So you can check out that one. Um, it just, you know, measure what matters. Uh, measuring what matters. He's also got the book too. And then a couple years ago, I think uh, there was a video about, I was watching a video on, on Google and how they do their OKRs. You can watch that too. That's about 50 minutes or so. So um, whatever you guys decide to do, the, the listeners right now, you just check it out. Um, OKRs have been a godsend. So working towards wrapping up here, for each of you, I guess, what is one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? I'd say um, this year, um, I loved uh, Creative Selection by Ken Kosgenda. And so Ken Koskenda was actually a engineer, uh, original engineer on the iPhone uh, software at Apple. And what was amazing about the book is we've all heard kind of the lore of Steve Jobs and Apple and whatnot and kind of heard about kind of the crazy stories there. But what I loved is he talked about it as a engineer on the bottom and the day to day of what Apple really looked like and specifically talked about all the challenges Apple had building out the, the software keyboard and how the iPhone almost failed because they couldn't get accuracy on the keyboard high enough and how they problem solved through that through a bunch of creative design work and engineering work. 
And it goes through painstaking detail of that process, which I think really actually gets at the heart of what makes Apple different when they're really thinking about being creative and creating these products that are incredibly polished. And it was really inspirational for me to think about where our bar should be for NoJoy in terms of really constantly pushing the limit to not just launch MVPs, not just get out the quickest thing that's going to resonate with the customer, but really to really inspire ourselves to go deep and polished and building a beautiful experience. Awesome. Great. I've actually never heard of that one, so I'll make sure to add that to my list. Um, How about you, Ada? Uh, the book that I love um, recommending is Mindset by Carol Dweck. And so Carol Dweck is a professor at Stanford. And um, what she really writes about, and it's applicable to both your personal life as well as your business life, is really um, it's the basis of the term that you may have heard, growth mindset. The belief of who you are as a person as it relates to who you can be if you apply effort. And so, you know, the big sort of insight is that you often see people who make statements about themselves. And I'm guilty of this myself in in all walks of life of I'm not an athletic person. I'm not a numbers person. I'm not technical. And they're basically creating such concrete definitions that, you know, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of making that statement and then not being that statement. And so with growth mindset, really what you have in those situations is sort of the belief that with enough applied effort, you can go from not athletic to very athletic. And you can kind of change that through learning, effort, practice, et cetera. And once you're aware of it, it becomes really clear, you know, for many people that they lack growth mindset and sort of have a static or fixed mindset in different parts of their life. And that's sort of where they never really improve or innovate. And it's particularly applicable as an entrepreneur because, you know, my background is really marketing with a bit of product. There are so many things that I do as an entrepreneur, whether it's finance, operations, taking out the garbage, working on sales that are not necessarily in the wheelhouse of things that were ever in my job description when I worked in a more formal role. But by having growth mindset, you know, it's really about, well, you know, I'm just going to keep working on this. And over time, like I'm getting better and better. And I believe that I can get better and better as opposed to, you know, the limitation of telling yourself you're just not this kind of person. So super powerful book if you embrace it. I love it. Yeah. Super powerful, especially um, I'm speaking for myself here, but uh, having an Asian tiger mom telling me that, you know, we're not, we're not good enough for this. You're not, you can't do this. You can't do this. I think it's once you're able to, I, I almost, I feel like the, the book you're recommending is like a superpower. So we'll drop that in the, in the show notes, kind of, you know, let people kind of open their mind up a little bit. Final question from my side. So for each of you, what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of, a lot of value to your life? So um, it cannot be note joy. That's a, and <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and start. Let's go with Ada first. Sure. So one tool that I've really adopted very heavily this year is um, it's basically a little iOS app called Captio. Ah, yeah. So I just love it. It's basically just a quick way to take a note on something, send yourself a reminder over email. And, you know, when I'm having conversations with people, like let's say I'm at a networking event and someone recommends a book to me or they recommend that I should reach out to them for something just so I don't actually forget it. I'll often just capture that quick idea and email myself. And that's just a great way to actually follow up and remember to do things. And so I've really introduced that into my day-to-day productivity all the time as just a way to keep track. Great. Sachin? Uh, For me, I'd say the uh, app that I really got into this year is RunKeeper. 
Um, I've really gotten into running, ran a 10K earlier this year. And as I mentioned, my goal is a half marathon. But RunKeeper has really been the best app I've found to actually track my progress. And um, I love it because it actually just like improves my running. It gives me these audio stats every two minutes while I'm running to tell me my pace, tell me how I'm doing. And it helps me kind of autocorrect and kind of calibrate how I'm doing from a pacing perspective. So that's been hugely helpful. And what I like about it is they make it fun too. So for example, when I'm getting those audio stats every two minutes, they have like a classic voice, but then they have all these really fun voices. So they have like this woman, Madam's Well, they have this one called your conscience and every two minutes when it gives you your audio stats it says all this just really funny stuff so it's like you run like a bear who just woke up from hibernation (laughs) (laughs) and uh, all this like really funny stuff that just uh, makes it your your kind of you know sometimes monotonous run uh, a little bit more entertaining I love it. I could go all day on books and tools, and I feel like you two would just have uh, endless value to give there. But I think we're gonna we're gonna stop for for that. I mean, maybe the the next podcast that we do, maybe maybe we'll go even deeper. So this has been great. Uh, what's the best way for people to kind of find uh, both of you online and also learn a little more about NoteJoy? Definitely check out our website, NoteJoy.com, to learn about the product. And as for me, uh, best place to find me is at SachinReiki.com, uh, where I publish tons of blog posts about product, about entrepreneurship and about no joy, of course. Yep. And then same for me, adachen.com, or you can find me on Twitter at adachen. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much for doing this, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.